Shemai Achroiso. Hello and welcome to the New York Welsh podcast, the podcast that celebrates Welsh success stories in New York and hopefully inspires some new ones. I'm Gideon. And I am Richard. Welcome back, Richard, after Christmas. Thank you, Gideon. How was your break? Oh, it was really nice. I went back to Wales. Oh, so did I. How long were you there? Uh, I was there for four days, three of which I spent in bed with gastric flu. Oh, nice. Uh, which wasn't so nice. I was there for almost two weeks. Oh, it was a decent stint then. So I won. So we are chatting today, or we have just been speaking to, uh, Sir Carl William Pamp Jenkins, CBE, who is a Welsh musician and composer, uh, accompanied by... His lovely wife. Lady Carol Barrett. Yes, we did. I was worried that I would forget how to do it. Oh, because over it's been too long a break. It's been a, it's been a month and a bit. Yeah, it's the longest we've we've been apart. <laughs> um, but no, I think you'll. Well, our guests will be the uh, true deciders of this. But I think we did a fairly good job. We did have a great conversation with Sir Carl Jenkins and his wife Lady Carol. Talked about a lot of things, including Sir Carl's work in advertising. We talked about uh, his commemorative piece for Aberfan. Uh, we also talked uh, about the award that he's recently um, been working on with Classical FM, um, which is something if you're aged between the age of 18 and 25, uh, studying music anywhere in the UK uh, at, at the time of, of the entry, which is now, then you are eligible to to enter. It's for musicians. Uh, so, yes, if you want to enter, um, look into that. <laughs> we'll put a link or something. Just put, put a, link. a link. Just put a link. Uh, we also chatted a lot to Lady Cal about her recent uh, children's book, um, some of which has been translated into Welsh. Um, we talked a lot about the Welsh language, actually, um, both in um, Sir Carl's work, but also Lady Cal's um, writing. Um, and yeah, I had, a, I think, a pretty enjoyable conversation. I did. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Okay, well, uh, we hope you enjoy it too. So without further ado, Sir Carl Jenkins and Lady Carol Barrett. Well, thank you for joining us. Pleasure. Pleasure. At your own birthday party. Um, guest of honour. Guest of honour. Composer in residence is the official title, so I'm here to listen to my music and sign lots of autographs and be present. Just be present. People can come get and talk a present. Yeah. Yeah. No, it doesn't get a present, do you? This is the present, the performance. But um, <laughs> it's been well, I've been doing it for ten years. Ten yeah. years. Yeah. More. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. But every, it's not uh, the first time. No, would have been, we've yeah. been doing it every Martin Luther King Day for 10 years. And a couple before, before DCNY got involved. It was run by another company, so it's it's been a regular event. Plus some extra ones. I came here on the 10th anniversary of 9-11 to do the Arm Man and Master Peace. Which was well. so moving, wasn't it? Because that was at Lincoln Center, yeah. It, it was somebody in the audience knew somebody, you know, to which it had happened, and it was just... A lot of people sort of the politicians should see this, wouldn't they? We also came here on a Welsh week, March the first, um, for Sir David Day's concert, didn't we? And you presented with a medal. Was that at the same time? Yeah, since Saint David's Society of New York, State of New York. Yeah, yeah we know that. Uh, was that was that here as well? Was that at Carnegie Hall? That. The, um, yeah, that was. They, they, they flit between the Lincoln Centre and Carnegie Hall. Generally now it's always at Carnegie Hall. Is it true that your first time ever performing at uh, Carnegie Hall was as a jazz musician, uh, as part of a rock band called Soft Machine? It was a progressive rock kind of jazz fusion band. And it wasn't <laughs> Carnegie it Hall. Right. Sorry, was... <laughs> I stand corrected. Progressive. It, was, it wasn't Carnegie Hall, it was... Um, I don't know, Academy of Music in New York, but we came, we toured up and down the East Coast quite a lot. Before I joined the band, the band started in 69, I joined in the 70s. Um, he toured for six months opposite Jimi Hendrix around America, six months non-stop, which was, must have been a hell of a tour, I wasn't there. But um, <laughs> uh, no, we, we used to work a lot in Europe and um, mainly in France and Italy a lot. In the UK, Soft Machine, it was kind of, it was a very trendy band. Moody. Not underground, but it was, it became, it started off as a, like a rock band with a singer called Robert Wyatt, drummer, and then it, it morphed into a kind of jazz fusion, jazz rock. Nobody ever spoke, did they, on stage? It was like all moody and interesting. And Well, jazz musicians never spoke. I know, in those days. but it, it, it didn't, like, it didn't like announce pop, or no. just 
Go on, upgrade, you know. looking interesting, um, hopefully. But yeah, no, that that was a it was an iconic band, so some people say. Very cool. Um, so, so Lady Carol, um, we were understanding that there's two um, movements uh, with your text uh, being performed on uh, Monday. Um, yeah, I, I I write quite a few words for Carl. Is that something you've done for a long time, or is that kind of? Well, I'm handy and I'm cheap. <laughs> um, Yes, I've always written poetry anyway, and um, I've written things like, my memory's so bad, I can't remember what I've written for. It was something in Peacemakers or Gloria. I've written quite a few. Um, yeah, odd, odd words. Odd, yeah, odd, I never um, do the whole text. Odd movements. Yeah. But, um, There's lament in Sabbath Martyr, isn't there? Yes, this, that was written for a friend of mine who was dying, and um, so I wrote the words first and then you recorded it and I took the tape to her she was in hospital and she actually died listening to it beautiful but um, and, and, how, and what's it like do you have a what's cause obviously I think it's always interesting when you're in you know partnership and it's not or, interesting uh, at all <laughs> okay I was being polite but uh, yeah, how do, do we how row do you, yes yeah, we do how does, what's the collaboration like awful but Carl wouldn't say that would you we didn't we wrote a children's opera once and it took about three months and I, I always say we nearly got divorced and Carl always looks amazed at that thought but you have to you know you, you write and then you spend you're having dinner together and you you know, and then Carl will say, well, I'm not changing the music. And I, well, I'm not changing the words. And on it goes. So it's quite difficult. Um, but I think because I'm, I was foremost a musician as I worked in an education, in a music education, a composer in music education, mostly. Um, I think I find it easier to, I can't imagine writing words just standalone poetry, although I have. But when I write poetry, I either write it for Carl to set to music or he writes the music and then I find the words to put to it. So, yes, it is an ultimate collaboration. I even try and change the notes sometimes, don't I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And in, in instances like that where the music comes first and then mm. Carl asks you to write the words, is there... A brief, or is it just a blank canvas? Give me, give me. Well, you've usually got the project, haven't you? That projects you... up and running. Mm. Next up at Martyrs to do with the Virgin Mary at the cross. Um, it's one of the historic Latin texts that lots of composers set. But I always broaden my works out to include, if it is sacred text, Christian sacred text, I, in, I introduce other cultures. Um, like Islam or mm-hmm. ancient it, texts from different mm-hmm. sources. But uh, as she was, yeah, she, as she, as my friend was dying, I just thought, well, I must write her a lament, which obviously fitted in quite well. Yes, yeah, so the message was universal as, mm. well, as well as being specific, you know, so it, that happens a lot. Um, actually, we read that, uh, I you brought up you in education because uh, I was looking at your... Um, book about classical piano um saying how and i think it said that you can you can learn at any age yes uh, you can and can you talk about that because i'm uh, i'm not you're hoping that yeah i'm hoping well I don't, know, I don't think i have a musical bone in my body but i um i've always you know loved piano um and yeah i was just fascinated by that because i would have thought you maybe you'd be uh, maybe more disposed to learn as a child or well, no a, you're not disposed to learn as a child it's usually the parents that want you to uh, play isn't it when you're older i mean you're not going to play at the wigmore hall or the albert hall but what I found was I taught a lot of adults in mm. when I was scuffling around teaching in evening institutes and they'd be like 70-year-olds and they want to play hymns or they want to play tunes that they knew from the opera or ballet. Um, so I, I was determined when I wrote an adult piano, I was asked to write a three, a series of three adult piano books that I would include all types of music and folk songs and a bit of bluesy stuff and and it's very different because they want to play i had a lady who used to just practice when her husband watched the news and the piano was in the hall because he wasn't really keen on learning the piano so he'd watch the news and she'd practice i mean she didn't know what was going on in the world but she did (laughs) she did improve um and i think adults really want to do it whereas children Yes, I've taught hundreds of children, but they they usually play for different reasons, you know. 
Mm, the motivations. It's changes. not the same, yeah. no, no. But you can. It's never too late. They say the same thing about learning a language. Richard and I met because we were learning Welsh mm. here in Brooklyn. and That's very commendable. Thank you. It is. It's hard. Yeah. Can't but, say we're very good yet. But, but not very good yet. We've been doing it over a year. But and people always say, well, you know, did you not learn it as, as children? Because as a child, you're more likely to absorb it. Um, but it's the same thing. When I was young... I didn't have the willpower, the fortitude, no. or even the interest. I wasn't interested. No, no, I'm not well speaking, and I came from that generation where it was neither encouraged and it wasn't taught in schools. Well, it was taught in schools, but it was optional. Mm. Uh, my family didn't speak Welsh, my friends didn't. So I understand a bit, but I'm not, not a well speaker. So well done. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank and can I ask, how did, how did the two of you meet, if you don't mind oh, telling us? Gosh. I know people always ask that, but... I um, did what? Oh, we... Uh, oh, we had you a tell the friend. tale. Yes, we, had, we had a mutual friend who was a trombone player from Triorchi, who, who I knew. <laughs> I knew from the National Youth Orchestra, and he was at the Royal College of Music, where Carol was a student. Uh, I went to Cardiff first, university, and then to the Royal Academy. But Carol lived in a flat above the one where this... Guy Trevor Herbert was his name. Trevor, the trombone player from Triorchi. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I like there. that. There's a book there. Somewhere. And he's he's the one who oh. he's the one who introduced us. And um, that was 50 years ago, I guess now, wasn't it? And um, Carl said, oh, I think one of my first, what, do you like jazz rock? And I said, What's that? We were on the top of a bus, weren't we? How about progressive rock instead? <laughs> no, I didn't. I knew. I loved Miles Davis, but I didn't know anything about jazz. I just knew what I liked when I when I went to concerts or when I started to... I was always quite picky, wasn't I? Well, I am quite picky anyway. Um, but um, I just found it fascinating that people could do degrees in music and be fantastic musicians in that area, but jazz... I think you're born with that special gift. And I met lots of wonderful jazz musicians through Carl. We did sessions and all kinds of things together. And some of them couldn't even read, read the dots, yeah, could so same they? same as lots of rock players don't read music mm. or guitarists. There's quite many out there who don't, you know. It's a different skill. Mm. They just use the force. It comes through them sort of thing. Yeah, and they learn, learn music by ear rather than through a book. Well, the jazz players I knew were a bit like that, who learned by mm. finding a way, listening to records and copying it. On yeah, but some of them, you could ma- name any song, couldn't you? Like Mick Pine, who played for Humphrey Littleton. Did he play for Humphrey Littleton? Well, he played for lots of people. Pianist, but he could... And he, and he couldn't read a note. I taught his daughter at one point. And he just could play... You name a song, you'd hum a few bars, and he could play anything. I found that remarkable. Mm. And I said, why don't you learn to read music? It'll only take you a few months. He said, oh, no, like of some great curse, you know, <laughs> if you learn to play the dots. It was amazing. So I'd learnt a lot through going to... But we still always went to classical things. We like lots of different kinds of music, which is runs through our family, really, because our son's the same, isn't it? Isn't he? I mean, he likes jazz. If it's good, he'll like it. Mm. But if it's good or bad, but... Um, are, you, are your tastes, the two of you, are your tastes similar? Well, they are, unfortunately. Yeah. We sound dead boring, don't we? I've always, I've always resisted categorising mm. music, I suppose, even from when... Um, I mean, I was trained uh, academically and formally, initially. My father was a, a school teacher and also on Sundays a chapel organist and choir master in Pencloth. Um So music was always in the house, LPs as they were then, vinyl. <laughs> today's word mm-hmm. um, so I grew up with all that and then when I was a teenager at school in Gowerton um, I went to Gowerton did you? I'm sure it was different then it was it was a boys grammar no it was um, it was a grammar school and uh, the, the building I went to is now the Welsh language school oh the red brick Goyle, building across the street yeah because there's in Gowerton yeah, yeah. there's uh, Cecil Road and Talbot Road Yes. Which are the two roads, and then the yeah. school is on the grounds, and then opposite is the Welsh school. Yeah, yeah. And that, speaking of not wanting to learn Welsh, when I was 11, my mother said, do you want to go 
to Goyer, the Welsh-speaking school, or Gowerton, the English-speaking school, dead opposite. And I based my decision on the fact that I knew a boy in year nine. I didn't like him, so I didn't go to the Welsh <laughs> school. I'll go to the other one. That's why I can't speak And now well. you're paying for Welsh lessons. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, yeah, I No, so I went, I went through, I learned yoga then, played in the orchestra, National Youth Orchestra. But then I discovered jazz as a teenager, and that was kind of life-changing, really. Because classical music at that time, new contemporary classical music was very, what some of us call kind of squeaky gate, you know, very dissonant and... Very avant-garde, wasn't it? Difficult to listen ping-pong to, balls tuneless in and kind of, I know, mm. so that didn't appeal to me. But jazz always had a fantastic feel and it swung and it was improvising and all that. It was fun, you know, so I kind of gravitated towards that. And when I went to university, I did my... My bachelor of music degree at Cardiff. I was moonlighting, and a few of us played jazz quite a lot there. Um, there's a jazz club down in, um, well, it was Butte Street, which is still there, but it was very different then. It was Tiger Bay area, kind of dock area, red light district. And a few clubs down there that used to have jazz. This is 63, 66 kind of. It was still club. a bit left of field then, jazz. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was, I suppose. And students liked jazz then. There was no. There was no rock culture then, really. There was, but it was kind of light, like Tommy Steele and early Elvis and things like that, you know. Rock as a serious kind of music, if you like, hadn't happened. Um, and I was at a... Well, we both were at an odd age. Not an odd age, but we were, we were young when albums were coming out, like Beatles albums were coming mm. out, you know, iconic, iconic albums. And Miles Davis albums, like kind of... And Cream. Well, I don't think I liked anybody till I heard Cream and Eric Clapton and Jack Bruce. And yeah. I thought this this was so different and good. Whereas pop music was always a bit wet, wasn't it, really? Three chords and then yeah. somebody wailing out there. And no, well, it's... Ch- yeah, but three chords are okay. I know. I don't know why I've said that. The blues. blues, blues, blues I take that all chords, back. Yeah. <laughs> no, you know, it was... Yeah. Uh, Lonnie Donegan used to play. He was a banjo player in a trad band. <laughs> and he, he, he had a hit with, I'll give you an example of what was around. Does my, does, the, does my chewing gum lose its, lose its flavour on, on the, the bedpost bed overnight? overnight. <laughs> <laughs> a big hit. I mean. With a banjo. Well, well yeah. And, yeah, and, and backing. Just think um, skiffle music. Yeah, skiffle. Popular. That was Bill like, Haley, yeah. You know, skiffle was, it was very homespun kind of thing. That you'd make a bass out of a tea chest, which is a big, cardboard plywood kind of thing and you get a, a like a broomstick <laughs> and type piece of string to the top of the broomstick and then the other end on the on the other corner of the tea chest and you'd have a kind of double you'd bass pl- you'd pluck boom, it boom, boom 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 yeah we're getting a musical education yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll try that the, the notes were a bit kind of fuzzy yeah. weren't they yeah. <laughs> to say the least one piece of, of string yeah, yeah. multiple and you pull you just by pulled in the, the broomstick pole the tension would <laughs> Would change the seat so you'd, it would go. <laughs> You're making it sound and a the, bit. The tea chest would be back. like a sound sound box, soundboard. <laughs> Turned very sophisticated, to say the least. And it didn't last, obviously. But um, I, I could see someone in a, you know, in Williamsburg in a cafe with a skiffle. I tell you what, I'm going to change the theme music to the podcast. It's going to be skiffle. Oh, no, it's going to be no. me on a skiffle. <laughs> We've, one of the things that we wanted to talk about, you um, brought it up earlier, actually, um, which was um, the piece that you did for um, Abba, well, in memory of, with it, related to Abba Fan, um, which, you know, for pe- for listeners who don't know this, um, this was a piece that Sakal did two years ago now? Um, yeah, it would have come it out was, two it years was ago. 16, which would have been yeah, f- um, 50th. Yes. 1966, it was my first term. I'd left Cardiff in the July and started at the Royal Academy in September, and then that happened, and it was a essentially a coal mining disaster, although it didn't involve mines, but it was when a coal tip in the area of Abavan in the valleys kind of moved and came down a mountain and they developed a school. Yeah, Panclass, wasn't it? Yeah, school, and 116 yeah. children died, and... 20-odd adults, teachers, and some in adjacent mm, houses. Homes as well. Yes, yeah, yes. homes as well. And it was um, obviously an, an enormous tragedy. And it's heart of the Welsh psyche, really, as, as far as tragedies go, because children were involved. I mean, there'd been other mining disasters, but it was particularly Especially horrendous. as it, they say 
people knew it was likely to happen. Yes, yeah, compounded that, by the fact it that was. They, they were a bit underhand afterwards. Oh, it was awful. Yeah. Awful. They tried yes, to deny yeah. responsibility, even yeah. though it was against their own regulations and mm. standards yeah. to put the cold tip mm. on top of a natural spring. That's, yeah. what, that's what happened. Right. And then and then there was heavy rains and the whole thing just turned to mush, mush. and slid down the hill. Yeah, around the ground streams and more. And there was a, there's a line in the text which is, as I said, Mirrored Hopwood did the text and um, it's a mixture of Welsh and English. Um, and there's a line there that came from the inquest that Brent Herville sings, um, Buried Alive by the National Coal Board which was the mm. official verdict. So what some of the bereaved, as they call them, were the relatives insisted that be put in the official report. Mm. Um, and it was, and they were found to be culpable, essentially, because they didn't do anything about it for years, you know. And that transformed all the valleys from that point on, and the decline of coal industry, because it was valley upon valley of coal tips and slag heaps and a grey look. Um, and that was essentially green, you know, the area... Um, but it was uh, yeah, major dis- major disaster, and that was two thousand and sixteen. Yes, not that the the piece was premiered. Mm-hmm. I, I noticed you um, you wrote in the article um, that you in the Guardian um, where you talked about this. You said that you know you were cognizant um, or you wanted to be cognizant of how it might encompass other recent tragedies involving children, such as um, the Beslan School siege in Russia. The Peshawar school massacre in Pakistan. Can you can you talk about why that was important to you? Well, there were two issues with the, not issues with the piece, but um, we wanted to widen it to encompass um, children globally, actually. And funnily enough, the Belson one, the, the the Russian one, has been commemorated this month, I think, as a performance in Russia. Caught in that. Yeah. Um, we wanted to just do that to expand, so it it it, it reached people beyond Wales, really, mm-hmm. that were commemorating childhood and in a sense of of, of childhood. Um, so by drawing in other cul- other cultures, there was a Korean ferry disaster, and the piece featured a young um, Korean violinist who was now British as well. Um, so we broadened the scope of it and, and made it more universal than than parochial that it might be seen as being otherwise. Um, if, people, if people do want to listen to the piece, I, I, it's, I gather it's called um, Cantata Memoria it, for the yeah. Children, um, and it's actually on Spotify, um, Lament for the Valley. I think, I think one of the most poignant uh, people, because Maria is the most incredible woman, and we, we talk, when I first met her, came to London, and we both hit upon the same thing. When you go around the graveyard, you know, it's just little white graves, and it's extraordinary because it mentions the children as being like seven and a half or five and a half so she wrote this amazing child playground song yeah like banter thing it was yeah he's he's eight and a half he's seven and it just brought it all home why would you put a half but it was so important because the whole piece moves from darkness to light and the first 90 minutes is fairly literal in that it deals with the disaster there's a menacing opening with rain simulated in and some onomatopoeic Welsh words like Pitran Patran, which is for raindrops. Um, uh, and it develops, uh, there's a bit of Mavanoi quoted, him quoted, um, which was sung by rescuers as they would dig in for bodies, you know, putting it uh, bluntly. Um, and then it moves to a Benedictus, and a, where all the names of th- those lost are chanted by the choir with the orchestral accompaniment. Then it moves from that, that's about 90 minutes of disaster, if you like, and then it moves to a celebration of childhood, and this is where the piece Carol was talking about comes in, which is school round banter and memories of childhood, you know. So it does get, piece does get lighter, it goes on and finishes with, with hope, I suppose, and reflection. One of the things that I equate Abba Van with um, is uh, Hillsborough. And also the yes. the, the exactly. New York one, the Triangle, oh, what's it called? Triangle Shirt Waste Factory fire, yeah. because because of the huge loss of life, but also because they were caused by negligence. Yes, it's and hard then to take, isn't it? People that? tried yes. to escape responsibility. But the one good thing that that did come of all those three things, I think, is now the rules are tighter. Mm. It's safer. Yeah, people, no, people are held yeah. to responsibility, and so hopefully things like that don't happen as mm. frequently. God, that was gloomy. 
you mentioned that uh, obviously it did you know was received all over the world what and one of the things we often ask people is what what it means to them to be Welsh and to really fly the flag for Wales overseas as you know as you are you know this weekend I'd love to yeah hear your thoughts on that yeah Welshness is important to me um, I'm not well speaking as I've said but that doesn't um, stop from being passionate about homeland I suppose um, I probably lived well certainly adding up the years I've lived longer in England than I have in Wales I left Wales when I when I went to the Royal Academy of Music in 66 um, but I've always lived in until very fairly recently I've always had a home in Wales one where I grew up little cottage in Cloud, and then we bought somewhere else in Gower, didn't we? Mm. Several years after we got married. Um, so until very recent, I was at home, but now my family are in London, my son, daughter-in-law, and two grandchildren. Well, our son, daughter-in-law, and grandchildren. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm still passionate about the country, and especially when it comes to sport, rugby, for example. Mm. I'd never be English. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> Does in that rugby. create a lot of divide at home? I just go out. I no, just go I out. They don't worry. No, it's no fun no. if you go out. We need you in the room when it's happening. It's hard for our son, isn't it? When he was growing up, he didn't know who to shout for. Oh, does he feel he's... No, he's Welsh now. He's Welsh for, for rugby. He's okay. English. He was born in London. Um, so he's 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 thirty mid thirties, but he's he's English in to all the extent and purposes, you know. But he's um, he, he sports Wales and rugby, <laughs> which is about as Welsh as one can get, I suppose. Mm. Um, speaking of flying the flag for Wales with your work, apart from Cantata uh, Memoria, which we've spoken about, do you include Welsh language in any of your other works? Yeah, I do. It's quite a few. I've sat with help. I, I've used to sing Welsh hymn tunes in chapel, right. you know, text. So, I, yeah, well, you know the words before I you even know, know what they mean. Really, yes. Yeah, exactly, exactly that. Um, which is a waste, really, isn't it? Why not learn what it means? <laughs> but just the situation, and one never queried it or questioned it. Mm. It was brought up like that, and um, as I said, my family and friends didn't were in a similar position. Um, when I did Welsh for O level, as it was, there were three, there were three examinations one could uh, do. It was O level, Welsh O one, O two, and O three. I can't remember which order they were in, but one was for habitual Welsh speakers who came from Welsh background, and the other extreme was those learning Welsh from scratch. And then the one, <coughs> the one in the middle was for the one who knew a bit, you know. Um, what is the question? <laughs> Just, just using using Welsh uh, Welsh words oh, yes, in your I work. Do. I have, and I've written, I've set words by quite a few Welsh poets, and I've um, I've always asked if there's an issue. No, not an issue, but um, pronunciation. Yeah, or stress. Get someone to check your work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's yes. like setting Latin. I did Latin at school, but I don't remember much. But I, I set it quite a lot because it's a lot of the text I set is Latin. Uh, ancient stuff, you know. So um, you don't speak Arabic either, but you said Aramaic. Odd you? word, yeah. Mm. But then I get guidance. Yeah. Um, so do you have a you have a translator that you work with, or, or just different from Welsh? Yeah. Um, I've worked with Graham Davis a, a lot in the past, as a Welsh poet, who now works with Prince Charles as his Welsh secretary I think is mm. good. and the one that in these stones horizons sing oh yeah I wrote a piece for the opening Welsh Millennium Centre Gwyneth Lewis she was a national poet of Wales and the lines on the building in these stones horizons sing in English and Welsh so I set those um, when it was opened mm. I can't remember when I can't 2004 was it I don't know what was the phrase sorry Welsh, in, in, in these, these stones, stones horizons, horizons sing. sing oh nice mm, beautiful um <coughs> A poem, I said a poem by Graham Davis, it was called Floyd or Grey, and that was about uh, the greyness of Welsh, like the Cardiff Bay, the water, and the, it was about slate essentially, it, and it was it was written for when the slate that, that was used in the Welsh Millennium Centre was brought from North Wales, and it was read when the foundations were laid or something, I don't know. Um, and I set that in the piece that I subsequently wrote for the opening of the Millennium Centre <clears throat> that Bryn Terrell was involved in. Um, 
So yes, I've used Welsh quite a bit, I suppose. And then, Cal, you've been becoming even more familiar with with Welsh, given <laughs> that we learned that is it your third children's book has just has been translated? Um, no, into I've Welsh? done. I've the first one was called Idwell, which was about a tree where we lived, um, in the mill house on the Gow. Would you say, Carl, that they're educationally f- sound? The books. Yeah. Oh yes, yeah, absolutely. That's what makes them unique, really, because they're fun books and yeah, but they're informative. So, but Carl's been very supportive, and I get him to read the stories and hope he laughs. Would you laugh sometimes? Mm. <laughs> I do, <laughs> I do. And um, that was taken up by Penny Arth Publishing, and that was translated into Welsh. And Moreri did that, and they sent me the proofs, which meant nothing because I couldn't read a <laughs> word. And I thought, I'm sure she's very good, but really. And then I did one, Nature's Nasties, which is been quite successful hasn't it in book one and that's um it's the welsh book council book of the month but i don't speak welsh no but um i think it's i i fight for the welsh because i get really annoyed in the national trust shops in wales i'm trying to change this um there are no welsh books for children there there are lovely english books but so i'm trying to do something about that but um that sounds like a good cause. Yeah, it is it's silly. And the, some of the stories are amazing. I mean, I I did find a, f- a few that I was... If we ever did another children's opera, I would probably use some of the books I've bought about way, Welsh tales because they're very... It's fantasy, but lots of depth, you know, mm. and um, very Celtic. Mm. So are, I, are you talking about... Uh, Old Welsh myths or more modern stuff? No, old Welsh myths, uh, because they're so old and because they're like fairy tales, really, yeah. um, they, they would probably lend themselves. I'm not saying Harry Potter, but it's almost, you don't... They're bizarre. That I think would, let, would be great on stage. Yeah. We actually had um, one of those, a friend of ours too, Hal John. He writes for the Welsh National Theatre and he... Oh, yeah. Uh, he's a playwright and he takes a lot of inspiration from a lot of those old yeah. Welsh myths and he's been yeah so he's actually doing that which is interesting well everybody does the, yeah. if you, they're all through literature if, a lot of the the stuff that you see in Game of Thrones don't know if you are fans um, all, a lot of that comes mm. from from the Mabinogion and yeah. various others um, so shall you- we hear a little bit about Addie Amos the piece we're going to see performed on Monday night well Addie Amos first time around was quite big globally in 1995 it was used on a Delta Airline commercial oh really and it sold a million million albums in the first year I think it was mm. on a, two or three million globally all countries um, and I used a it was a mix it was a unique mix of ethnicity and classical wasn't it which people couldn't get their head around, could they? What is it? What kind yeah, of... Yeah, a lot of people, people, want, to put, people want to put it into a category, yeah, right? Yeah, and yeah. The classic of it was involved then, early days, and eventually it was played, but there was some issues early on. Mm. But he was a wonderful singer, Miriam Stockley from... She's South African, white South African, who was a session singer in London, mm. and she multi-layered all the vocals. And as I say, it was quite global... Um, so did you, was, was it wasn't commissioned for the, that they picked it up and said, hey, we'd like to use this for this? Commercial. It was kind of, no, it was used. I was writing music for adverts at that time. Okay. And adverts in this, when I was doing them were amazing because all those film directors like Ridley Scott, Ridley Tony Scott, Scott yeah. um, uh, Alan Parker, Hugh Hudson, they were all doing commercials. Yeah, Charles, they all worked together, didn't they, at that time? In yeah, and the, the, the production values of commercials was very high then. The, mm. the films were great, You're stories were great. Yeah. And I, done quite a few, I did quite a few with my music partner, Ratledge, who was in Soft Machine with me. Um, it won quite a lot of awards. Why have I embarked on this? Talking about the style of Adi Amos. Oh, yeah. yeah and how it So they asked me to, about, yeah. when, along the way, they asked me to, Albert Mead Vickers, an advertising agency, will you write something for Delta Airlines? Mm-hmm. And they said they wanted something ethnic, which is a kind of very loose brief. <laughs> so I came up with this idea of mixing classical and uh, girl, kind of tribal ethnic singing, where the style of the voices weren't like classical, no. essentially. Um, and speaking of using language... 
the the words of Adiemis are their own language. Well, they were invented, yeah, exactly. I made them up. And it feels like there's meaning behind them yeah. when you listen to it. Mm. In Japan, it was, um, it, it was uh, there are different categories of rocking CDs, you know, classical jazz or whatever. And this Adiemis was healing music, a rock for healing music. You know? That's quite fitting. It had mm. this kind of um, ambience to it. So um, it is only written for women, three lines, three parts for women. Uh, and the two singers did the whole thing. And over the years, people wanted, uh, men wanted, it was, it was, there, were, there were requests for arrangements, including men. Mm. So that's when I thought of the symphonic Adiemis, which we do on Monday which is essentially the same music as the first album with some from the second and Full third. orchestra instead of but strings. Instead of just strings and it's still ethnic drumming and all that, but it's a full symphony orchestra and, a, and tenors and basses as well as sopranos and altos. So the sound is more symphonic. That's why it's so-called that, you know. Um, so that's what they do on Monday and we I made that album. It's quite recent, a year or so ago. Um, so the whole thing evolves, but it's never gone away. People still sing it in schools. In schools, they do, yeah. What's the biggest difference nice. when you're com- commissioned for that type of piece that it is for an advert versus, you know, just a normal you know, piece? Well, the, bu- the, bu- the, main, the main kind of bonus in writing your own music is that you're your own boss and you can do what you want, you know. When inspiration comes. Well, no, I don't believe in inspiration. I, I don't <laughs> believe in it. Well, in a way, but I don't believe in inspiration. I think... None of... You've got to work, Neither of us do. You've got to work, other ones, mm. you can't wait for it to come. Otherwise, you lose the gig. You lose the gig. You know, mm. don't get paid. And your reputation's in tatters. So you have to work a bit each day, and then it kind of comes. Um, Tapping the source. Yeah, so that's, 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 that's the main thing. Writing for ads, who's always. Funnily enough, not the film directors, because very often you didn't see those because each stage was separate. It was a, a guy at the, at the advertising agency who had control creative director usually came in twos an art director and a copywriter you know they one, said one them, words one visuals oh I used to say the most ridiculous things didn't well they, they did in musical ways like what well they changed the film and then wonder why the music didn't fit and they couldn't understand that yeah there was a logic that was missing uh, you know. somewhere um, but they were they were supreme and they usually had a um, a creative director who was head in the agency no, you that say they so called yeah so called creative director <laughs> would they defer so to would they defer to you know but, um, uh, so that was it they 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 had the last say what about the one where it, uh, the biscuits and the um, don't play the drum but just what was that advert? oh they had they had they come along with all kind of conceptual nonsense you know very often. You've got I was this amazing drummer there. Camera, well, he did play the drums, commercial for biscuits. I can't remember the make. And he wanted someone else for volunteers. And the drummer volunteered. They wanted someone to eat the biscuits and then to record the sound. Okay. <laughs> and it, it was nonsense because it's just like, without the visual, it wasn't in vision. It was just like white noise, you know what I mean? It would, didn't represent anything. And there was another guy, another story where the... Gordon Beck? No, it's the one where the drummer, uh, the director said, oh, yes. oh, don't get your drums out. Play on them, <laughs> play on the, get your sticks or brushes and play on the case. <laughs> and so you're having a, and so you're like a traveling band and you wanted to jam. <laughs> so you play on your... <laughs> and yeah, no, no. This had no, bear, no, no relationship to what was in picture. What was, the, uh, what was that one for? I can't remember what it was for. That's the only thing I remember from his job was the drummer playing on the case and then charging more for like a Dublin fee. <laughs> if, you, if you play more than one instrument, you get more money, you see. Playing the case. <laughs> what about that Gordon Beck story? That Gordon was, Beck was a oh, fantastic wonderful. jazz pianist and they hired him to do something, but they wanted him to play badly. You know, they wanted it like right. an amateur. Well, don't hire right. Gordon Beck then. Well, well, exactly. When he came as a session player, he said, "Well, I'd have to pay me double money. I've been practicing <laughs> for years. <laughs> you know, harder. <laughs> if you want to play badly, you have to pay me double rate." <laughs> so they did. They did. They did. Yeah. Yeah, what they was they did. This, was this the nineties? Was it? 80s, 70s, 80s, 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 
didn't they? The old, it was based on Indiana Jones kind of story, a yeah. guy in the desert being strapped down and... But a full orchestra, cascading horns, and it was just beautiful. But the, the, now everyone does it in the back room, don't they? Well, this home studios have become um, great in some ways, you know, but a lot of people can do a lot of things now of a high quality at home. Mm. But that, that's good. It is good. No, it is good. It is good. But they don't necessarily pay musicians anymore. They throw out demos to people. You know, you can get 20 people to do it. Mm. Um, and no one earns from it, and they pick, you know, in one way it is great. But um, it spreads it thinly, really, I suppose. Mm. It's true. Yeah. Think of the musicians. One of the questions we always like, like to ask is about... Um, I guess advice to people who are you know, thinking themselves about going into um, you know, a career in music. What, are, what things would you say to listeners? Well, I'll go first, and Carol can have a say. I was very lucky. I came up through a generation, of a generation, where music tuition in schools was free. So when I went to Gowerton, the school orchestra, you could play any instrument that was available. I played the oboe, in fact. My father loved it, so I did that. Um, Tuition was three. I made the steps through West Glamorgan Youth Orchestra, Glamorgan National Orchestra of Wales, um, and to university, all free, no tuition charges, tuition fees. Um, but I was very lucky in that I, I got involved, I became a bit of a musical tourist through my life, and by accident hit to what I'm doing now. Um, I had no career path other than when I came to London from Wales, I wanted to be a jazz musician, and I, I did work in jazz for a while. Um, and then on to bands like Nucleus, which was a jazz fusion band, and Soft Machine, um, you mentioned Soft Machine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then when that folded, I worked writing music for ads, which, is, which was a lucky break in that the guy in Soft Machine I was writing with, his girlfriend was a model and she knew a, a very good um, stills director called Mike Bukowski, London photographer, a bit like David Bailey and people like that at the time. And he was doing an ad and we got the chance to write the music, so we struck lucky, and we won a lot of music awards. Along that came, as part of that process, Adiemus came along, and that was like big globally, relatively big. I mean, the sales were what some pop people would be envious to get, you know what I mean? Um, advice, then, though, what And advice? then off the back of that, well, I, I'm just saying advice. Mm. At, at the back of that, I, I was commissioning right the young man, which was kind of classical, or my version of it. I mean, I was trained classically, but I, I drew all the influences from jazz and doing adverts with different ethnic instruments and all that into what I do. So I became a kind of global composer, but that was all fortuitous. The only thing I, I, I would say is be true to what you do and mm. not try to copy what you think is commercial or what you think is um, or could be successful. You know, do what you want to do and be true to yourself. I think if you're writing music, if you're playing it, I suppose it's the same thing if you're a rock musician, do what you, you know, follow the path that you feel like. You, know, you can never second guess what people respond to, I suppose. Um, there is still a route for people who want to be classical, but it's becoming more and more elitist because people and kids are not being taught in schools to learn instruments. So as many people from either wealthy parents or private schools that learn classical instruments, essentially. I know some instruments across all barriers, but, um, you know, stringed instruments or whatever. Um, So it's increasingly getting more difficult and there are fewer places to play, fewer jobs, fewer orchestras. Fewer sessions. Yeah, fewer recording sessions. And... Fewer sessions using orchestras, apart yeah. from like you've, you've got Star Wars and things like that. But that that was Bella So's lucky. Yeah, at, on break, the on the it? John Williams level, you know, there's oh. obviously a lot of work, and he, he's amazing. But um, uh, I don't know if sound <laughs> put the, sound doomy about it, but um, I suppose you've got to be good and lucky. I suppose. Um, one thing I wanted to ask about um, is the the music award, the Carl Jenkins Music Award. Oh yeah, we we like to think of ourselves as sort of champions of 
I don't know, education, people who aspire to uh, achieve uh, excellence in, in whatever great. field. Um, so could you talk about that? It started a few years back. Um, it's in conjunction with the Arts Club in Dover Street in London. They were running an award and they, they lost, I think the guy who was, I don't know who they were doing it with. And I was looking for someone, just to put something back, really. So um, we got together and started this. It's called the Arts Club. Carl Jenk, Sir Carl Jenkins now award. Um, the Arts Club, so we do it together and we get entries of about, I don't know, it's quite healthy, it's 100 people, many from the conservatoires, and they, they send us entries by um, YouTube. It's eighteen to twenty-five. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's kind of no pianists and no singers. Had, they have lots of lots of. It's been a learning process, really, because the first time we had we opened it to any instrumentalists, with loads of pianists, we couldn't oh, cope really. We had about two hundred entries in total. And there's lots of prizes for them. And we also didn't stipulate the medium, so we had like SoundCloud, we had CDs, we had. We don't do technology. YouTube, do you? you know, you're swapping things, machines, and going through them all. Um, but we now only do it on YouTube, which you know it's become common. People have filmed themselves playing, um, so that's what we do. And it's, we we sift through the entries, whittle it down to twelve, and then have a semi-final, and then two weeks later, uh, we've got a, a final list of what, what form does the semi-final take? Do the do they come? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The they come. come. Twelve. They the, the each 12. one plays for twenty minutes or so. And we have a panel. The You're on the people. panel, right? Yeah, I am. Someone from Decca Records, someone from Publishing. Classic FM. Classic FM are on board. Yes, now in association with Classic FM. Um, uh, and it's in London, the semi-final and the final. Yeah, it's not the same place, any arts club in, in Dover Street, just off Piccadilly. Um, so, that, yeah, that's what we do. But um, the, when Zhu Yon, the, the violinist, I mean... You, you've enabled her to play at the Albert Hall. She's been... Is this last year's winner? Um, no, the she was the first one, six first. years back. She's the one... Played in, ca- in the cantata. Yeah, oh, she's the, the person you mentioned. Yeah, yeah, she, she was the, the first violin. winner. And the last winner was an amazing cellist, oh. Bill Selacci from... He's from, he's from a township outside Johannesburg. Not Soweto, but another... I can't remember. So uh, it's worldwide? Well, they, no, you have to be studying in the UK. Got so it. he is studying at the Royal Northern, Col- Royal Northern College of Music. He's amazing. And he's, he's amazing. And he's also a kindred spirit of mine in that he's into world music as well. And he, he's got a trio that kind of crosses boundaries, you know. Mm-hmm. And he sings when he's playing the cello, yeah. but he's quite... It's, it's just he's incredible. incredible. So um, it's been worthwhile. Well, it's been worthwhile anyway, but I, I've also benefited from it in a funny kind of way by... Being able to employ these people. There's a flautist, Emma Hallen, and she mm. was incredible. Um, and I write a little piece for each one of the winner that Classic FM then broadcast for the next, when the next year's round comes up. They usually they play that as part of the lead up to the mm. uh, promoting because they, they advertise it on, on the station. But um, they they play the piece, don't they? And because Emma played the piece you wrote for her, she plays it when she does recitals. Yeah. And then you wrote Chatterbox for Julian, yeah. another violin piece. So it's amazing. And don't get many brass players. I think they're all down the pub. <laughs> I was a bit disappointed in that, but we're kind of hoping, aren't we? Because they're out there, but mm. they tend not to want to do... It doesn't mean they're going to all be soloists either, because one of the winners leads the orchestra um, somewhere. They don't have to be soloists. They just have to sort of communicate with people in the audience. They come and talk about what they what they're going to play, which is difficult for them if they if if they're Polish or Russian or. But a few Mm. accordion players, amazing. Mm. Who was that girl? Where was she from? Senia Sidorova from Latvia. Mm. Well, as I say, they're all, they're all studying. They have to be studying in the UK at the time of the competition and within that age bracket. You know. It is incredible. Well, there you are. If, that, if that's you, you're listening, 18 to 25, studying music in the UK now. When do when do the entries stop for this year? Uh, February the 7th. Oh, better get on with it then. <laughs> <laughs> but it's always next year. It's always next year. Well, I'm, I'm really inspired by I mean, I, I, I love how passionately you talk about Wales, both of you. Um, but also this this theme of 
um, world music not being defined by a country or exactly. a border. And um, yeah, it's really in- inspiring to hear how you've how you've done that. And uh, yeah, I'm sure our listeners have enjoyed it as well. I'm sure they have. Thank you very very much, both Pleasure. of you. Pleasure. Thanks. Thank you. Great. Thank you. As always, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. For those unable to attend, a recording of the concert will be available on the DCINY Facebook page from Saturday, February the 2nd. Search for The Music of Sir Carl Jenkins, a 75th birthday celebration. Yeah, and if you'd like to get in touch with us, then please do. The email is podcast at newyorkwelsh.com or you can contact us through any of the socials. Both our Instagram and Twitter are at newyorkwelsh.com.